Well, should I ever tweet it? What if I fuck it up? <laughs> How could you fuck it up? I don't know. You know, it's still not my language, so I might, <laughs> I might get stuck at some point. But it's all right. Uh, anyways, we're live. Welcome, Katie. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. So we were just talking about uh, where I, I can disclose where you are, right? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So you're in Guadalajara, Mexico, and you were just talking about uh, how the lockdown hasn't been as severe there and people don't really pay attention to the government. And you were saying, well, just continue what you were saying. You're saying it's good because people are kind of um, more happy to resist the masters was the term that you use. So why don't we just continue on? Yeah. From there? I pretty much believe that local people don't have this med respect for government, for the masters as uh, people do in the United States. So pretty much when you hear some regulations, um, a lot of people just, you know, pretend to comply, which, you know, they make fun of the regulation itself. And then they're like, yeah, I'm going to pretend and put a show on, but actually no one cares, which is, you know, one way, like it's already a step in the right direction. If you, if you don't agree with our regulation, but just not to get in trouble, you're like pretending to be okay with that. Uh, Then other people just like, Oh, I don't care. And, this is like, I rejected, like, I just said that I'm not going to change my lifestyle at all through the whole pandemic. And I was here in, um, in Guadalajara for the most part. So my lifestyle has not changed. I kept doing my classes of salsa and Thai box. I kept going to the same market, uh, like farmer market every day. And I kept going to my carnisseria, which is a butcher store. And like, nothing has changed. Right, but you travel a lot too, right? It must have been a pain in the ass traveling and you, you would have had to do all the, the measures while you're traveling, right? Well, I didn't, I didn't have to take a single coronavirus test for regulations, like for regulation purposes. So I had 26 flights this year and they didn't ask me for results a single time. So I was just traveling, filling up forms that like, I'm, I have not been in contact with somebody who's been confirmed with coronavirus i did not have fever and that's about it wow um all right well i'm sure there's a shitload to discuss but i kind of want to know how you wound up in guadalajara anyways right so you know you're from russia originally right yeah born and raised in russia uh, a little over four years ago i moved to the states and then about a year and a half ago, I decided to drive all the way from Miami to Acapulco for an Acapulco conference, the biggest anarchy event uh, in the world, pretty much. Um, I stayed in Acapulco for like a month. And then on my way back, I was driving through Guadalajara. I was actually considering moving to Los Angeles and that's where I was going. But I just sat by in Guadalajara and like my first night here, I was, I was like, damn, this is the first city that I actually want to stay for longer because I've been traveling for three years now nonstop pretty much. So I just felt like it was amazing. And um, through, through the last year and a half, I just built my perfect routine here. I found everything I was looking for in the city. And uh, I'm here most of the time now, probably like 40, 50% of the year I'm here. What was it about Guadalajara that you like so much that made you want to stay? Uh, culture in terms of like not obeying the law blindly like the freedom of people, how they approach their lives just based on what they want to do instead of just whatever they have to do. I really like how there are a lot more uh, mom and pop shops here. So instead of like nine to five working for a corporation, how it usually happens in the United States, 
those people just, you know, open their garage, uh, put together a taco place. And then from 5 p.m. to like 10 p.m., mom is doing those tortillas, dad is doing meat, and then kids are being waitressing, like they're wait- waitressing. So I, I think it's like cool for family units. I think it's much better for mental health of people to do this kind of this kind of work. Um, so I like that part as well. And I found perfect food here, like grass-fed rebuy for $5 per pound. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'll take it any day. I found really good locals, uh, local markets uh, for like other groceries, um, like vegetables and fruits. And uh, I like I'm really into learning cool skills that I might not really use, but I just enjoy learning those. So I started uh, learning Spanish. I started taking salsa bachata classes. So I'm really enjoying my time here. Yeah, I've seen a few videos looking pretty slick on the in the high heels. So how does, so take me through a bit of background, right? So you said you, you were born and raised in Russia, moved to the States four years ago, went down to Anarchapolco because it's the world's largest uh, anarchy conference. Like how did a girl from Russia who later moved to the States get instilled with these philosophies, let's say, um, of uh, ideas like anarchy and we'll unpack what that means to you in a bit, but just like, how did you go, how come, how did you go from quote unquote normal girl in Russia to driving to the biggest anarchy conference in the world? And then obviously get involved in Bitcoin and all the related stuff. Like, what is it about your upbringing that caused you to go that way? Pretty much nothing about my upbringing was normal. Uh, like I went to school probably four months out of a year because at the age of 11, I got into a national team and I was just traveling with a team all over the place. Uh, I lived at home for like six months out of a year. So since the age of like 10, 11, uh, I was quite responsible and, uh, you know, somewhat sovereign uh, from my parents because I didn't have them around. I wasn't home. I was always traveling. So I had to figure out how to live my life, uh, you know, Less reliable on my parents. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I was a professional sailor. Um, I didn't have to go to school too much, so I didn't, I didn't get to be as brainwashed as other people could get uh, for nine months a year. And I don't know, my parents are pretty open-minded. I feel like they gave me all the freedom I could, I could ask for, and maybe even more. And that kind of gave me opportunity to question things, to ask things. But then after, after high school, I actually got into like very traditional college, like the best college in, in Russia where all our previous presidents went through. And uh, I went to economics school. So my first year, I was like really bad student because I was just traveling all over and uh, competing for a national team. But my second year, I kind of made a bet with myself that I'm not gonna, like I'm gonna get straight A's. Uh, so I got all straight A's and like one of my favorite subjects was macroeconomics, which I was really good at at the moment. And then on my, uh, and then I went with Russian national team again to Spain, to Palma de Mallorca for like a month and a half. And while I was there, the whole Crimea crisis happened and my, my, my country currency like dropped down two and a half X compared to Euro. So I'm like in Europe all my money on my debit card in rubles. And I have like one way to go in Europe. And I just have two and a half X less money than I did at the beginning of the trip. And I'm like, I don't think this is something they taught us in macroeconomics classes. Like, 
something is wrong here. So uh, I actually came back to school. They didn't give me full scholarship. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm dropping out then. And then I decided to move to the States. Okay, okay, okay. So a couple of things off that. First of all, you know, you, you say you can't come from a relatively open-minded family, which is cool um, because I think most people, at least in the West, and I don't know how true this is, but uh, we don't consider like Russia, like a bastion of free thinking people, right? Like we think there's probably a lot of propagandizing that goes to the people. And this happens everywhere too, of course. And maybe it's, maybe this is the case everywhere, but uh, what, and so you, you, you had a kind of open-minded upbringing and you had international exposure through the sailing. Uh, what caused you to decide to move to the States? It was pretty much Googling. I was like, when, when I realized at my university, and so I got all straight A's and won national championship for my university and they didn't give me any scholarship, any financial support. I was like, I'm just going to Google if there's any, you know, scholarship for professional athletes. And I'm Googling it on my first class of a year. And it says uh, financial, financial help to professional athletes in the United States. And the link is in Russian. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, how, how can I get financial support in the United States for my education? So I go through this link, and apparently there is a program for transferring Russian students to the United States just so they could compete in, on, like, high-level um, competitions for their university. And I started looking more into that. I did not speak English, like, at all, absolutely. And one of the requirements was to pass TOEFL exam, test of English as a foreign language, on a really, really, like, high level. And I was like, whatever, I can learn English in six months and pass the exam and get into university in the United States if I have to. Uh, so I just, I kind of made it my goal. Um, and I started learning, like I dropped out of school, went back to my hometown, spent five months learning English and then moved to the States. Okay. I, I now remember the question I was going to ask right before that, but was, are, were your parents kind of uh, anti-establishment, anti-authority, anti-political uh, paradigm sort of parents? And is that kind of why you had a bit of a latitude for free thinking? Uh, I think in general, people in Russia are anti-establishment. Like, look at the history of Russia in the last 120 years. We were monarchy. Then we, like, killed the whole family uh, and turned into communism. And then we turned into democracy with one president for 80% of my life uh, with the same dude. So, like, we've been going through different structures and nothing works for us. So... We just don't believe in that. We just don't believe in the whole political structure. Okay, cool. Got that. So uh, studied English, came to the States, and then what? So I came to the States, passed my exam on a pretty good level. And then I kind of looked into immigration policy here. And I realized, like, if I go through university, it's going to be, like, such a big problem. The, the whole bureaucracy behind immigration is, like, absolutely crazy, terrible process. So then I realized that as a professional athlete, they might want me to compete for America, and I can get this green card for people with extraordinary ability, which at the moment I was in Russian national team, number one in, in the team. I was in top 20 world ranking. So I just applied for a, for a green card for people with extraordinary ability, as they say, and got my green card. Oh, shit. So 
I didn't have to go to university anymore. I was already like not really into school. I never was into school. So I just decided, you know, to get into, to find my own way pretty much. And what did that entail? Well, that's, that's where I'm at right now. I, I sell passports, do some magic internet money, enjoy my life <laughs> all over the place. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you got your green card, you came in, English is a bit choppy, but it's good enough. Uh, first, by that time, had you, I know you, we already went over that you kind of grew up in an open-minded household, but had you been developing philosophies of anarchy and anti-state solutions to a variety of things, uh, at that time? And if so, where did those philosophies come from? Like, did you get exposure to people or books and stuff? And when you got your green card, like what was step, how did you find your way? That's too ambiguous. I need details, Katie. All right. All right. <laughs> Trying to figure out what, what details I'm okay with. <laughs> so when I was born, my dad was a prosecutor of my home. Was a prosecutor and he quit the same year yes he yes uh so he kind of you know realized that system is not what he thought it was uh and it was just the year i was born so he quit and ever since they were entrepreneurs both my mom and my dad so they they always like they were always in some kind of lawsuits with local governments with city hall and all this stuff so i already had this like you know I did not like governments. Like I did not like the way they work. I knew they were inefficient and all the stuff and a lot of things are unfair in the world, but I just didn't have answers yet. And uh, once I learned English, I, like I realized oh, that if I didn't learn English, I would be so much more lost at this point. I would not be able to answer all these questions for myself because I just found so much good li literature on like anarchy, on Bitcoin. Like I would not be able to get into Bitcoin at the time I did. Uh, just because there was no content in Russian. Like, all the content in Russian is still watched. It's very few translated, um, like, good, good kind of quality translation. So uh, I, I moved to the States, and I just started discovering answers to all my questions. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what led me here. Okay. And I don't want to pry too much because I know certain uh, certain aspects are probably uh, you want to keep private. So take me to uh, kind of the Bitcoin rabbit hole story. You know, what you, you landed in this or was it prior to coming to the States or afterwards? It, it was after. Yeah, I, I did not discover Bitcoin. I remember somebody in my university asked one of my professors about Bitcoin and I just totally skipped it. Like I did yeah, not so. listen to the answer even. So um Heard about Bitcoin from the shady, shadiest person I've ever knew. And uh, I was like, whatever, I should not trust him. And back in the university, I did huge research for like two years. I, I did research on like Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, different kind of stuff that we had in Russian history and some other countries. And the way he described it, like it totally checked out. It, for me, it was like, it is solely another pyramid scheme. Like I should not look into that. But then it started popping up on like some social media. I've seen it here and there. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, start learning about it. Um, then I actually found some Russian people in Miami who were like, yeah, we need to learn about this Bitcoin thingy. And none of them spoke any English. So I was like kind of translator. I was better than them in English even. So I was like barely speaking. I went for like one or two meetups and posted something on my Facebook. Um, and now a little, little previous story before that. So I took language class for a month in a language school. 
And then four months later, I decided to just visit the same language school. I'm walking in and I run into a girl coming out, like crying, like I can see something is wrong with her. And I totally rushed to me. I'm like, hey, are you okay? So she starts telling the whole story, how her host family kicked her out. And, um, and I just like decided to help her a little bit. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, it was a little choppy, but I, I think, think we're good can. now. So, uh, yeah, I, ha- I help out this girl, help her move stuff from her previous place to a new place. Um, and just like in general, supported her for a couple of days. And then three months later, I already started like learning about Bitcoin, posted something or re- like reposted something on Facebook about this. And she's texting me on Facebook and she's like, Katie, I'm, I'm actually producer of this uh, TV channel in Russia. And one of the Russian funds is coming to United States for a Bitcoin conference and they needed a translator. And I saw you posted something about it. Can you help them out? I'm like, why not? Like, are they going to fly me to New York for a Bitcoin conference? I will finally actually learn something about it. And all they need me to do is ask questions like for speakers at the conference. So I go there and I, I met a lot of people that I still, I still talk to. Those were like Bitcoiners from, from way before I got into Bitcoin. They recommend me first books. And I was like, this was the beginning of the rabbit hole story. When I was like, I opened this book. Right now I'm like going through this book. It, it's an Antonopoulos book. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, duh. But back then, like even first couple of pages, I was like, I thought it was not for my head, <laughs> obviously. It's all about the mindset. So yeah, and then that's how it all began. What year was that? 2017. It was right before the crazy, the crazy run. Right. And so I actually consider beginning of my rabbit hole story from like the day before fork, because we were all like number go up. And then my Russian friends were like, yeah, there's this fork happening tomorrow, like split of the network. And I was like, what is that? Like, I thought it was just number go up some, some <laughs> weird stuff. So that's when I started learning like much harder than before. So since that time, what has guided your, like the development of your philosophy around these ideas of freedom, sovereignty, anarchy, et cetera? It just, it just got more precise in my head. Like now I can answer questions for myself and for other people. Now I can, you know, lead people through their, all their questions and get to the same conclusion that I did. So it just got aligned, but I think I had this mindset since way before I was an adult, even like through teenage years, I was already looking into self-sovereignty and I didn't know why, but I was always looking into those like survivalist skills. Like I started shooting, building stuff, working, like sailing, uh, working on wood. Like I was pretty good at like fixing wooden boats before I was 10. And those are all pretty, pretty sovereign skills. Then like I started weightlifting at the age of 16 and then uh, I started Muay Thai at the age of 17. So like before I was an adult and knew why I need all those skills for, I already kind of intuitively started, you know, learning all them and looking into them. I was just, you know, curious, I guess, naturally curious about all those things. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I, I like that. I share a lot of those kind of similarities. And I think a lot of us probably do because I think we had that kind of sense or like inkling of we want to be independent 
You know, we want to be free. And what kind of skills and mindsets and things do we have to learn in order to facilitate that? And what's so interesting about Bitcoin is I feel like it's almost this thing that brought all those things together, like connected them all together and gave it like an actual force. Whereas before you just knew in the back of your mind, like, no, this this is important. I've got to develop this skill. I've got to develop this aspect of myself because I don't know why, but I'm going to need that to be developed in the future. And Bitcoin just seems to have like, like those glasses that just made it all become clear, you know, that, and, and that brought it all together. And I think that's part of the reason why we see, you know, some people were at different, everyone's at different stages when they come into Bitcoin. Right. But uh, I think for some people, Bitcoin has inspired them to look at all different areas of their life for, for changes of that kind that they may benefit from making. And then others, you know, have already made some and have doubled down since they've gotten to Bitcoin or, or changed others. Um, what, uh, what has changed the most for you since getting into Bitcoin, would you say? I wanted to mention something regarding your, your comment about like how it all got together for us through Bitcoin and how we all realigned, like why we, we wanted to learn all those skills. Yeah. I like comparing, comparing our experience with slam dog millionaire movie. So the idea of this movie is that, um, it's just a homeless person in India, uh, like working different jobs to survive, meeting different people to survive. And then he ends up at who wants to be millionaire show. And he just knows answers to all those questions. And the organizers can believe they're like, this is like, he's just a homeless, like barely, barely adult. Like he's almost a teenage boy and he knows all the answers. Like, how is it possible? And then uh, they start an investigation and he just walks the, the cops through like how he knew answers to all those questions. And this is how, how it was in our lives. We just, you know, we just had all those experiences that gave us this understanding how sovereign, how important the sovereignty is. And now it just all got together. So now it's our like, who wants to be a millionaire show? And we just know all the answers already because we prepared. Cool movie though. You get, you're going to watch it. Oh, I know the movie. It's a great movie. Um, yeah. Does it give you a, a sense at all of like, does it give you a fatalistic sense at all? Like, cause who the hell knows why we have the experiences in life we have and, you know, or why you're so different from your siblings sometimes like you shared so many experiences, but you can be totally, totally different from your siblings. And then as you accumulate those experiences, they coalesce into a perspective and that perspective attaches to different things that it finds important based on what you've drawn from those experiences. And I think that's what you're saying about Bitcoin, right? It's like, you've got all these experiences that shape your perspective to some degree. And then that makes it so much easier just to look at this thing and go, yes, oh, this is it. Of course, this is, this is it, you know? So do you, well, do you get a fatalistic I, sense about it? I think we're all very analytical. So maybe a lot of people had the same experiences, but they just, you know, pass them. And just like a lot of people, they learn about Bitcoin. They don't care enough either to learn enough or they just don't see it the way we do. But like we take those experiences, we analyze them. And I like my coach, since I was nine year old, my coach would always say it's like she's overanalyzing everything. She just keeps going back and forth about the same experience until she like figures things out. And uh, yeah, I believe it's just, the way I am, I just analyze things and try to find like full understanding and I won't stop unless I find it. And I think that's just all we do. And yeah, we just, it, it's all choice. 
we go through pretty much the same experiences and then you either let it go or you're like, okay, let's figure it out and find the truth. Yeah. I think part of the question uh, before we got uh, cut off there was some of the more influential um, resources that kind of shaped your current uh, thinking on things, you know, because, you know, you're very vocal and very adamant about your perspective and your, you know, political philosophies for lack of a better term. Uh, what kind of other than your life experiences, has there been uh, educational resources of different kinds that have, sh- that have really shaped that for you? Turns out the internet in Guadalajara is not a strong point. <laughs> really great hotel, but internet sucks big time. But you know what I did now? I'm going to try to do to hotspot myself with my phone and see how that goes. Wow. Again, back to your question about what helped me out. Uh, definitely meeting other anarchists and like bouncing around ideas. Well, before that, obviously all my experiences, Russian currency dropped 11 X compared to uh, like in a pair to dollar since I was born. Like that's a lot. Uh, then my immigration process really showed me the value of the flag theory. And I just discovered so many loopholes and I was like, passports, that's what we need. So like all those experiences and then on top of it, just, you know, finding other people, like-minded people, sharing ideas, bouncing those around, um, debating, that would kind of help me, you know, put it all together and be more precise with my views. And for people back home uh, in Russia, family members, friends and stuff, like what do they think of you now? Like, because from an outside perspective, your kind of, I guess, philosophy on life might seem extreme or at the very least unique to people, right? As do most of ours in the Bitcoin space, right? Because, you know, these are, we, we espouse ideas that are both adamant, but somewhat, well, very unconventional, perhaps. Uh, What do they think about, uh, you know, current Katie? Yeah. Well, I'm very lucky to, to have extremely loving and supportive family. Like my sister is my, my closest friend, probably whenever I got into fights, I'm super close with my parents and even my extended family too. Like all of them, hundred percent sure that I'm a weirdo, but like good kind of weirdo, like the, the kind of weirdo they admire instead of just thinking that she's doing something wrong. Like they're super curious about my lifestyle. They're super supportive. They know that like I'm doing things differently and it works out for me. And they just like, good for you, Katie. And they're pretty supportive. I, I really... I really need to give them more credit for that. Like That's incredible. That's awesome. Are they, do they get Bitcoin? Are they interested? Do they understand? Yes, definitely. Well, my dad is like, since he quit persecution work, he's been, you know, going, he's done a lot of political researches and like looking into markets. So he's been pretty red pill on the whole Fed thing for a while, for a very long while. And recently, last year, actually, I sent him um, Saifedin's book in Russian, and I had to read in Russian, too, so we could debate. And he's like, this is good. By the way, the translation was amazing. Seriously, it really? was a really good book in Russian, too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I was, I was very surprised. Um, so, so, yeah, what, they're totally onto that. That's incredible. One of the, the things I wanted to talk to you about today was, you know, you've been... Uh, on Twitter, you've been promoting, I guess it's called flag theory, but it's just, you know, different passports, basically getting other passports uh, from different countries that have more favorable policies around taxation and around travel and around, you know, all sorts of different things. Uh, And you also 
I saw something pop up from you not so long ago about, you know, being an agent for selling islands or something like that. So one of the emergent ideas in Bitcoin is this like idea of citadels. And I think, I think some people might misinterpret it. Really, the citadel is like an idea of sovereignty, like whether or not your idea of a citadel is a walled fortress with all your Bitcoin homies and just like high tech everything and it's a great place to live. Or if your idea of a citadel is like living in the mountains with, you know, a self-sufficient home with your close family or maybe some friends and that kind of and raising your own food. Like it's basically just a living arrangement where you're sovereign and free and can do what the fuck you want. And I think we all aspire to that. And one of the things like, and this is actually becoming more real with each passing day. Like I think this year and the COVID situation, we, we had been talking about citadels for a while, but there was no pressing concern. And now we see what the response has been to this crisis, quote unquote crisis in many places. And people are starting to think I, you know, hey, this might be something I need to consider sooner than I had thought. Um, and so looking at options that are available to people that want to opt out or have more optionality, I think is increasingly important. And obviously one of the things that you're involved in does that. So maybe this is the time to break into the spiel about what you're up to now. Yeah, definitely. So the idea behind the concept of flag theory is just to limit your dependency on any one particular state. Um, sometimes you might be seeking for better taxation um, structure. Sometimes you might just want to make sure that like, if your oppressive government becomes even more oppressive, you just want to flee the country without problems. Like there might be different reasons for different people, but I just see it as a like multi-sig, um, pretty much like, when one of your keys get into into the hands of malicious actor doesn't mean that you lost you lose all your funds the only difference here as i like to say is that all actors are malicious like all nation states are malicious but the good thing they don't really get along with each other so you can play you can play that card as well uh and yeah again i discovered it through my own experience when i realized that like now as a russian citizen in the us like I can have some more freedom than local citizens. And, you know, it's pretty good to have that. Um, so I decided to dig deeper into this rabbit hole and uh, that's where I'm at right now. Another interesting thing that you mentioned COVID is um, last year, a lot of Americans were just, you know, looking into buying passports in Caribbeans, buying passports, but then still keeping their US citizenship. This year, I see so many more people just like, I'm. I just want to get out of here. I'm ready to renounce my U.S. citizenship. I'm so pissed. And I was like, wow, that's quite a statistic. Like, it, it, I could see this turn. Mm. So, are, are, like, are there a lot of people hitting you up for the, the passport services that you provide? And how long have you been doing it? Since 2017 as well. Oh, okay. And so this year, just way more interest. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, much more interest. And like right now, I'm mostly focused on like United States, Canada, and Australia, and those are my like, my primary market. And um, and also, I'm more focused on Bitcoiners. And obviously, they all try to time it up for the next top of the market, right? Because like it's much better to pay one Bitcoin for passport than ten Bitcoins for passport. Uh, but yeah, I already see like the interest is growing. Obviously, the the COVID stuff became a catalyst of this process for many people. 
But yeah, people are realizing it's like we're we're no longer the the, the land of free. We might want to, you know, look into other options. Yeah. And with these options, like I, I was looking at uh Vanuatu, like the details and the Wikipedia page and stuff on them recently, because that's one of the the places that I think that you uh provide services for and that is common for people looking for these services. Um but I regarding some aspect of I guess financial disclosure or how they how they operate financially that Australia and New Zealand um, have put pressure on them in, in like recent years to enhance their disclosure. Is there any, like, is there any risk they, or what is the risk? Of course there's risk, but what is the risk you pay 150, 200, 250,000 to get a second passport from St. Kitts or Vanuatu or wherever. And, you know, their policies just change, you know, their, their disclosure policies their tax policies, like what, what's the risk there? Well, you need to remember what is their incentive here. Those islands have no income but selling passports. So they pretty much want to keep doing it forever because like, that's what they do. That's what they do to make money. And uh, many of those programs been around for like 30 plus years and nothing really has changed. And I don't think anything in terms of taxation will ever change. In terms of disclosure, obviously there are like there's pressure from United States, from China. I know China actually got like extradition from Vanuatu for four of their citizens. So recently, quite recently. So you always need to figure out what's going on in the industry. Like it's a, it's a very liquid, liquid process, right? Like it, it's never solid and you just have to look what's going on this year, what's going on next year, look into trends. So like, that's one of the value proposition of, you know, coming to me and asking me all these questions. So I could understand your needs, understand your goals. Then we would look into different programs, like depends on like what you're looking for, uh, what kind of program uh, in terms of timeline, much as much as like fits your expectations. What do you have family members or is it single applicant? And like, we figure out the full strategy for you. And then from there we, we just go. What's the most popular destination? St. Kitts is the most well known for for Americans. They definitely have like the most respect and trust in that. Um, Vanuatu is the easiest right, easiest process in terms of due diligence. Definitely, like if you want to accelerate the process and if you think that you might have some issues, Vanuatu is the way to go. Um, yeah, I would say those two. And Portugal what? is extremely, extremely uh, popular too, but I don't think this is uh, as valuable for, for U.S. citizens and Canadians and Australians as it is for like other, other countries like East Europe. Why is that? You hear me? Can you, yeah, can you say it again? Yeah. Did your, did your earbuds die? uh what was i saying oh yeah why why is portugal more popular they also have this 10 year sex holidays um which is like you move to you move to portugal it's a nice place to raise a family too like there's beaches great weather and good taxation structure i am not focused on portugal again because it's not as interesting for for my market as it is for east europe but I know there's like growing interest towards towards Portugal. And like it's part of European Union. 
So it gives you a lot of visa-free access to different countries, which is also important for other country citizens. So pretty good uh, option. Um, is there any way to turn up your mic volume on your computer somehow? You're a little quiet now. Why does it take, is the three to four months that it takes, it's just, you know, bullshit bureaucracy paperwork? Is that all that is? So yeah, pretty much it's all bureaucracy again. You put together uh, a case, you put together like due diligence process, right? Like FBI check is part of the process as well. Uh, and then you, you need to figure out which, which, which process you're going through. Is it going to be donation or is it going to be purchase of real estate? If it's real estate, you also need to find the, the property, of course. But then it's just pretty much waiting process. And right now there is a backlog. Like many, many countries didn't accept any applications because they just didn't accept any mail coming into the island during the COVID times. Uh, so now there is a backlog. And uh, that's something that I keep keep telling to Bitcoiners because like they trying to time it up to the top of the market and you actually pay the donation at the as a like very like the last step of your process. So right now it's like eight to ten months. So you need to initiate the process ten months before we hit all time high if you're trying to time it up. <laughs> Talk about timing the markets. Um and so what other this cause this idea of like these competing jurisdictions uh, was an idea that was described in uh, The Sovereign Individual, right? A very popular book in the space. And I do think that's what we're going to see. Like increasingly, uh, there's going to be demand for better jurisdictions and the, the more agile, smaller jurisdictions that aren't parts of big countries or, or, uh, or like groups of countries, unions or whatever, they can more easily attract these people. Uh, has that been, and the ones that like the St. Kitts and the Vanuatu's and stuff, as you said, they've been kind of doing this for a long time. Portugal may be an example of a country that's made changes more recently, but do you see this as a shift where more and more countries are going to be starting to do this? Because the other side of maybe Bitcoiners holding off a bit is, you know, if now there's five to 10 options, if in the future there's 20, 30, 40, then presumably the price will come down for these sort of services. So do you see this like more uh, jurisdictions trying to offer this stuff? Definitely. And I don't think Bitcoin played any role in that just yet. I think the, the, the first catalyst that played a role in it was like digital work, right? It started to be more popular. People can work from their computer from anywhere in the world. So they just, you know, can move and don't commit to their nine to five job every day. Uh, so that was the first catalyst, and I think the second one would be the would be the the Bitcoin stuff. We're gonna you know go to the moon, and then we can flee the country with any amount of money uh, at any point. So compete for this for this Bitcoin. <laughs> um, all right, tell me about the island stuff because that's uh, that's some real baller uh, stuff to be considering buying islands and to be selling islands must be a, a pretty fun job. How did that come about and what's been the experience so far? I was just pretty much, you know, meeting cool people who bought different, different passports, talking to them. And then we ran into this, uh, this old man, he's in his seventies and he's been selling islands for over 40 years. So at the age of 30, he got to his father and I was like, I'm going to sell islands. And ever since he's been doing it, he literally created market for selling islands. It was not a thing before him. Now he, like, he, he's got over 2,000 islands for sale. And I pretty much just, you know, because 
the clients who buy passports also you know curious about buying islands it's kind of you know the same uh the same not user but the same client mm. uh, i started like hell yeah i'm gonna buy an island and, uh, and build a house and since we're already looking into off-grid housing self-sufficient housing it's like not not that big of a problem to not to have centralized resources like electricity and water so might as well build it on an island and so I missed a, a little part of that. You got stuck for a second, but what, uh, like who owns the islands before they're being sold? Like, are they all just private sales or are there countries that sell off islands that they have or how does that work? Yeah, mostly they're owned by, by an island nation close by. And this is the island nation just sells the island. And like, is this, are a lot of people doing this? Like, buying islands and putting a self-sufficient home on them? Not a lot, but you know no, what I mean? I like, is there, the, relative to the supply that's available for purchase, like are people scooping it up? It's, it's getting more and more popular, definitely, yes. How much is like an average island to buy? You can start, if you're trying to just, you know, have an island for yourself, you could start as low as like half a million dollar. And then there's like, obviously endless amount of money so what what does a half a million dollar island look like and where is it just paint the picture for me hey let me let me give you a particular example in the caribbean um 30 minutes from a, a tiny airport on an island next by 30 minutes from hospital closest hospital by boat obviously the island i'm still you know figuring out this whole uh, metric system between the United States and, and Russian, I don't really remember. But island, I would say it's like island for four big houses with big backyards. Uh, could you could buy for like seven fifty to two million dollars? And so the the island is like in terms of kilometers long and wide. What would you say? Four football uh, ball fields. Pots. Yeah. Okay. And, and obviously no amenities, just an island. So everything that you build there has to be self-sufficient and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Do you own an island? I would. <laughs> One day, maybe. Man, that is cool. So this guy that's been selling them for 70 years, is he, does he live on an island? He must. Oh, he's got some island, but he's at this point, he's in his mid seventies. So he's a little more settled down to lives in Germany. I think, I think, well, he also travels a lot. He's still pretty active and he just, you know, takes helicopter and fly around his islands to look what's up, take some pictures. Still does a lot of, a lot of activities for his business on his own. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, uh, what other tools or solutions have you been looking at? Do you think people should be considering you know, right now in 2020, September 2020, uh, for increasing their own, like, sovereignty, for establishing more sovereignty in their lives? I think it always starts with considering your attack factors. I was just recently thinking how it used to be, like, we would look into natural disaster as, like, the first attack factor that comes to, to the mind. But now it always comes with, like, this is going to be a nation state or, like, you know, government authority coming after us and we're trying to gain sovereignty from those uh, nation states, which is kind of 
like such a rent seeking, right? They created, they fabricated the problem and now we're looking for solution to solve the fabricated problem pretty fucked up. Mm. But um, I personally really look into like my health, my own health, because like uh, radical ownership of money is good and like radical radical ownership of your of your body is pretty important. So like make sure that you're healthy, you're fit, you you know you know how to defend yourself. That would be a good one for sure. And other survival skills like definitely building upgrade house is a good thing to do. Um, definitely at least you know get it, gaining some knowledge on how to do gardening, etc. Definitely important. But just I don't know. Just it, it's like a mindset switch after which you just never go back, and then you're just looking for those self-sovereignty ways you can do things that nobody thinks that you can do in self-sovereignty way and i think we're all going there it's like an endless process there's there's no a point that you're trying to reach it's just you keep going keep becoming more and more sovereign until you die (laughs) (laughs) and then that's the ultimate freedom um yeah i i agree with that and it's interesting you know still being in you know a country like canada there's so many people that don't even for a second consider that their freedom is ever imposed upon at all. They just think they are at the forefront of what it is to be, you know, a human being in society and they're as free as they could ever want to be. And there's nothing more to consider. And then of course, there's other people that see all the different ways that uh, the, you know, freedom and sovereignty that they wish to have is, is uh, imposed on or a lack of, of freedom is imposed on them and they look to try to find solutions. And the reason why I wanted to kind of frame this up in, in looking at solutions and I want to do a bunch more podcasts on it is because I agree. Like what, what you just said is like Bitcoin is a piece and your own health is a piece and the, your living environment is a piece and your access to passports and the optionality that that uh, allows is a piece and free open source soft encrypted software that you can use to communicate or to do whatever you want on the web. Like these are all pieces. And once you stack enough of them, well then, you know, you begin to have a lot more optionality. You be, you, you give yourself the ability to say fuck you to people that might be imposing things on you and oppressing you in different ways. And that's like, that's right now, that's the best that can be expected until we have these glorious citadels all over the world where you can just choose where you want to spend your time and come in and come out based on the services that are offered. But I think right now is if if you feel like uh, things are going in the wrong direction, if you feel like, uh, you know, decisions are being made for you that are not in your best interest that you don't want to make, then the best thing to do is just take those incremental steps to learn about and engage in solutions that give you more optionality. I mean, that's the name of the game is, you know, optionality is it being able to pick up sticks and leave being able to communicate the way you want to communicate. And it's tough, but the solutions are emerging that are making it easier. Yep. So being a fighter and being ready to, to go out of your way, to, you know, to still stick with freedom is extremely important. And I think we all got it. We're all fighters. We're not going to give up. We're just going to keep fighting for as long as we can. And I enjoy the process. This is also something that is important. Like, that's great. I'm okay with that. It's not that I'm struggling. No, it's great. I love this fight. I chose it. It's great. It's, I, I enjoy every step of it. 
Yeah, I think you got to. You got to find enjoyment in it, right? Because otherwise, like nobody wants to just be in a fight that's kind of not fun their whole life. And like you do, you practice Muay Thai, I do as well. Like there's, there's an enjoyment in the sparring, in the fighting, because you get to test yourself, you get to kind of reveal something about yourself and you get to improve, right? So it's not that I want to be in a fight all the time, but it definitely, um, you know, it definitely has its benefits. It's not all bad. What, uh, what's like top of your mind these days? What's most interesting, exciting to you in any kind of category, whether it's Bitcoin or anything else you're involved in projects, anything like that? Well, um, I sell passports. I build two apps. Uh, one of them is like self-sovereign approach to your own health. That's something I, I'm pretty excited to in terms of like mental health and physical health altogether. I believe they're going hand in hand. Uh, so I'm doing this pretty excited, great learning curve as well. And um, this year overall was like the most productive, the most interesting, the most amazing year of my life. And I know a lot of people are going to be surprised because it's 2020 and everything is unplanned. But this year was amazing for me. And I just, you know, I just want to keep having great time through crazy times. Yeah, but like I build my routine the right way and I'm enjoying it for sure. And that's what I'm excited about. Just keep building things that I want to see in my life. Nice. Well said. Uh, what's the app? Tell me more about the app thing. It's not if you, very public if you, just if yet. You, if you be, can. Oh, you can. Okay. Yeah. But we'll be launching in Florida in, um, in several weeks, like in a few weeks, four to five weeks. Right. And uh, it's just pretty much the connection between mental health and physical health. So I really believe that like your hormone profile affects you not only physically, but mentally, your micronutrient sufficiency. So all this stuff. And we're trying to, you know, put all those pieces together um deliver them to the user through a mobile app and like we we keep saying that like you are the hero this is your journey self-sovereign approach to your own health is like there's nobody else in the world who can help you with that but you mm -hmm. so take your own your own health into your own hands and and go for it that's cool that's cool you know that that message of sovereignty and personal responsibility just it's applicable everywhere and once you see it and once you take that approach, like to your health, to your finances, to your mobility, to your ability to communicate, all that stuff, you see the stark contrast between your approach to personal responsibility and the approach to personal responsibility that most people that have become so accustomed to the state providing everything and taking all the responsibility, uh, how different that the, the the degree of the contrast between people is. I mean, I look around uh, oftentimes today in, you know, not living in kind of, well, living in kind of a quote unquote normal city and listening to the level of political discourse and all this stuff. And like people expect, you know, you get people whining about the healthcare system and, you know, it needs more funding and the wait times and this and that. And they do absolutely nothing to manage their own health. They smoke cigarettes and they eat crap and they never exercise and they you know, drink too much alcohol, whatever it is, like they stack all that. And then they march their fat ass up to the, to the hospital and say, how come you're not taking care of me better? You know, and it's such a disease of a mindset 
And I, I love how, whether it was inspired by Bitcoin, whether it was there before, obviously there's many doors into this, but that more and more people are starting to say like, it all should be my responsibility. You know, I, who benefits more from my health? Me. No, nobody benefits more than, than me. So I should take full responsibility of that. And the beautiful thing is, is like when you start doing that and when you start consulting the resources that help you do that, man, it feels fucking good. You know, like it feels good to, to know that you can, I mean, it's just a powerful feeling to be kind of like free, right? The, 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 the place that I get the most of it these days is I'll go out for like a swim in a freshwater pond here, you know, like one or one and a half kilometer swim. And I'll be out in the middle of the pond or I'll be over at the other side, the little island that I swim to. And there's nobody around and it's just forest and freshwater. And, you know, my lungs are kind of pumping, my heart's racing, like I just did a good swim. And I'll just come out of the water like, yeah, you know, like it's such a, it's just such a good feeling to know that you're, you're cool in that environment, you know, and if you've got to run for a while, you're cool. And if you've got to take care of yourself, you're cool. And, you know, if you need to fly into another, like all these things, again, it, I think it comes down to optionality, but being, being adaptable to any, or not any, but as many environments as possible because you've conditioned your body and you set up your life to allow you to do that is, is such an intoxicating feeling. And I wish we could help more people fall in love with this, with this kind of approach, because everybody thinks that like this victim mentality is easier, right? You just blame other people for your own fuck ups. And in some way it's easier, but like, instead of, you know, blaming the healthcare system and struggling through bad health, you might struggle through diet and then feel amazing for, for your whole life. Like this is much easier if you actually go through that and you realize it's like, yeah, living healthy is much easier than blaming healthcare system, going through doctors. So like victim mentality is not like, it's not making it easier. Like stop saying this and just, just go for it. Fell in love with this cool lifestyle of being a sovereign individual. Totally. And, and the victim mentality abdicates so much control. Like, don't you want to be the one who's in control? Because by, by you saying like, oh, that person's words offended me or hurt me, or I don't like you're not doing enough of this for me. You're just basically saying my happiness and my you know, contentness and me being uh, like fulfilled is all in your control. And so when you don't do things, it, you're, you're damaging me for that. Like that's such a weak mentality. It should be in your control. You take you like you determine whether you get that or not. Don't let an outside source do that. And like, so like you said, I don't think it leads to more happiness. I think it's just, we've been conditioned to think that way by the size and scale of government in this day and age. That's definitely been a, a variable and how people have been parented and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's easier in the sense that like, if it's like lazy, right? It's a, it's a, it's a lazy attempt at, at, at finding solutions for yourself or, or solving problems. But as you say, I mean, once you, yeah, it, it certainly feels a lot more effective to take, to try to take control for yourself. <laughs> um, what was I going to ask you next? I had something in my mind, but I was ranting too much. Uh, well, what's going on? What's, what's exciting you in Bitcoin? While I remember that, why don't you tell me what kind of anything in particular Price action technology. Yeah, we're all, we're all so pumped uh, after Big Block Boom. It was just amazing. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Whole community. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure you got FOMO pretty pretty badly, huh? Totally. I would have gone, but I would have had to quarantine for two weeks on my uh, when I got back. So again, about mm-hmm. state actors and their regulations. How many people were down there? It was like 300 in the globe boom, and so far nobody got it. No, nobody got tested positive on Shocking. COVID. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, I also hosted an event, a satellite event. That was like all things self-sovereignty the day before Bitblock Boom. And we were actually talking about all the things we were talking about today. So like self-sufficient housing, self-defense, uh, emergency medical care, um, self-sovereignty 101, uh, passports, all this stuff. It was pretty cool. cool yeah, event. that's actually, now that I remember me seeing that when you posted the thing for that event like a while back, I think that's probably why I asked you to do this today or part of the reason because I've always, I wanted to talk to you for a while. But uh, yeah, how did that event go? Tell me about it. It was really good. So I literally put this event together because I was like, this is the things that I want to learn about. I want to talk about. And I just imagined this perfect, perfect event covering all the things that I'm interested in. And then I was like, I'm just going to organize it. And uh, I invited a couple of speakers and it, it, it ended up being pretty cool. Everybody enjoyed it. I got a lot of great feedback. It's definitely happening again. Uh, either Bitcoin 2021 uh, or next year, Bitcoin Boom is happening for sure as well. So sick. How many people showed up? 130. We had really, people. but not like all from the conference or some people that were just in the area could come too. Yeah, there it was free event, so a lot of people who decided not to waste that spend sets uh, onto Bitcoin Boom still could come over to Underground Citadel. And yeah, there, there were quite a few people who didn't go to the main conference, but showed up at Underground Citadel. And so was this just like talks or was it workshops as well? You mentioned like emergency medical stuff. Like, did you have someone doing a workshop on, on that kind of stuff? Or what was, what are the He was dying, you know, nobody got caught. So we couldn't really do a hands-on experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Ben Woosley, core contributor, was actually doing emergency medical care and he brought a lot of, a lot of things that he thinks that everybody needs to have on him or her. Like as you, you know, go going through the streets and you see somebody's uh, having, you know. Actually, I have a I have a story to tell. A friend of mine who is in Mexico now, who was at my event, um, recently saw a girl being bitten. Is this the right word? Being yep. bitten by a dog on the oh. street, mm-hmm. and he had emergency medical kit on him, and he just like totally covered it. And he's been carrying this medical kit for four years and never needed that. But there was this particular situation where it got handy. So it's like another sovereign thing that to do is just to carry to carry around medical kit, uh, carry around knife. My my shooting coach and my Muay Thai coach always says ABC, which means always be carrying. And uh, I think like in ABC you can say. ABC your um, open dime to flee the country at any point. ABC your guns. ABC knife, um, medical kit. So like always be prepared. And uh, I'm trying to learn that when I'm in Mexico. I'm I'm doing it all the time in the United States because I fly so much and I never fly with luggage. Like bringing knife from place to place always ends up being being a headache. But like, try to make it part of your daily routine. Yeah, I, in recent years, I've been giving a lot more consideration to like planning for 
unforeseen circumstances. You know, kind of what we were, we were talking about this before and in, in kind of taking enough responsibility and refining yourself to the point where you're comfortable in as many circumstances as possible, but still that's more of a, a general approach. Whereas obviously there's emergency circumstances where even a little bit of forethought and planning, I think would go a long way. Like, you know, certain people talk about having like kind of a go bag in your home. Like if you just have to leave real quick, it's like hung up in the closet and it's everything you need to either travel or, you know, run through the woods or whatever your circumstance are. Um, and like, what, you know, what do you do if someone, if you have a home invasion, like, do you have a protocol and a plan that you've practiced so that if it happens, like, you know, exactly what you need to do. And there's like just something to mitigate the fear and panic of unexpected circumstances. Cause like people tend to freeze when they're not used when something unexpected happens. And so I've been thinking about that a lot more. And I think it's a good thing for people to think about, like, and obviously you can't plan for every externality, but just the, the ones that would really shake you up and be, um, be difficult to handle. Like if you just had a little forethought and planning, you know, hopefully they never happen, but if they do, you know, you'd be much more equipped to handle them. I actually got a question through this story. Um, early in life, when you had those experiences before getting into self-sovereignty stuff and actually understanding the idea, did you experience that like something, something weird happens, like somebody cut himself or car accident or anything else, and all the people around you are freaking out, like, you know, they see blood, they can't handle it or something else. And you're like, set, like clicking and looking for solution right away without questioning what happened, without freaking out, without putting any emotional emotionality into that. You just like jumping into, into solutions and trying to, you know, put pressure on, uh, on uh, cut or like something like this. Because I was always this person who would be like, all right, everybody calm down and we're looking for a solution. And I think this is something that all the Bitcoiners experience early in life because it's just the mindset. Yeah, I was, I, I don't remember a specific instance, but I was always the like, everyone calm down. We need to, you know, we need calm minds to figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned uh, firearms. Is, are firearms legal uh, in Mexico? Well, there's a long procedure you need to go through to own one. Uh, and, uh, the gun laws are not good here at all, but I go to range um, every month pretty much and uh, learning my way there. Do you find it safe down there in Guadalajara? Yes, for me, again, those are attack factors. Like in the United States, I feel like uh, um, state attack would be more, like state attack is not something you can deal with pretty much. You're in trouble and there's nothing you can do on your own, but I like, some people tried to steal phone from me in Mexico and they didn't succeed because those are such a tiny attacks and I'm prepared to them for them and I know how to deal with it. So like they tried to steal what? My phone. I was just walking and I was like right after my Muay Thai class. So my <laughs> sister was like hiking and he's on a on a motorbike like passing by and trying to grab my phone. And I was like, no fucking happening man. Like <laughs> so he threw my arm, took my phone back from like get the fuck out of here. That's awesome. You know, you mentioned the kind of like, if the state is the attack vector, then that's, you know, really hard to deal with. And this, I don't know, have you read the book, The Gulag Archipelago? Oh, not really. Like, I won't be able to comment on it at all right now. I know what you're talking about. And I know 
some stuff from it, but it's been like a while since the last time I looked at it. Well, yeah, I haven't finished it yet. I know, I know it's like a heavy read. Um, I'm, I'm just reading it now, but it starts with like the first couple of pages where the guy basically just says like those words, you're under arrest. Just like by the time you hear those words, it, it, in that time and place, it was already too late. Like you could, like you couldn't argue it, you couldn't fight it. If 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 those words came to your ears, you were fucked. And um, you know, and I think it's important to read those works. And so many people uh, around the world today just think things. You know, oh, that was a different time. That was a different place. That was those people over there. And they don't realize that the 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 things that caused those horrendous events of our past to happen. It's not because the people were any more stupid than you are or that like you're any more superior or you're any more moral or ethical or anything that, 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 than they were. It's just the circumstances uh, and the philosophies that underpin those things can easily reemerge. And I think like, you know, the, the old saying, you know, people who don't study history are, are typically com- condemned to repeat it. I mean, look at what's happening around the world today particularly in the U S where there's very similar philosophies beginning to emerge. So I think even as ugly as those stories are, I mean, I think maybe that's even more reason to familiarize yourself with them because they can be so sobering and jarring to your perspective. Definitely. And like, we know the system is unfair, unlogical. Absolutely. So like, don't try to predict it. Just be ready for the worst pretty much. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, Katie, I'll, uh, I'll let you go. There's one last part I want to do before I let you go. Uh, but before I, I get, get into that, was there anything else you, uh, you had in your mind to bring up, discuss, share today? No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So the last part is uh, it's just a word association. I haven't been doing it lately, but for whatever reason, you inspired me to bring it back. So uh, I'll say a word and you tell me the first thing that pops in your head. So no thinking. You just blurt out whatever comes to your mind. In Russian? No, not in Russian. In English. <laughs> I can't process information that, that quick Shut in English. Up. Yes, you can. Here we go. I'll try. I'll try to do my best. Yeah, you'll be fine. Here we go. Democracy. Nope. The Lightning Network. Uh, will happen. Government. Sucks. Human rights. Believe in those. Violence. Everywhere. Trump. Hold on, you got stuck. I think my internet stopped working, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're almost there. Trump. I was prepared for this kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I was not ready for sure. All right, Trump. I have no opinion on those motherfuckers. No. (laughs) Ego. They don't exist in my life. Okay, ego Trump. <laughs> FOMO. Uh, you not coming to Bilbao Boom. <laughs> Wealth. Wealth? Yeah. Um, everywhere. Privacy. Important. Hate speech. Doesn't exist. Gold. Old school. Guns. Good. Revolution. Uh, In your head. Socialism. 
Don't even try. I've been there. <laughs> Family. Love. Inequality. Doesn't exist. Hell. Not no interest. Liberty. Jeez, it's so hard. It's like association game with a person who doesn't speak your language. You're doing great. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, liberty. Um, again, in your head. Energy. Uh, health. And Bitcoin. Me. <laughs> nice. I like it. Katie, we made it with some technical difficulties, but we got there in the end. Uh, it's been fun to finally connect with you and hear your story and uh, get you to share some of your insights and resources. Uh, before we sign off, anywhere you want to direct people if they want to learn more about any of the cool stuff that you're up to? Definitely my Twitter. I promise to post more info about the passport stuff. I, I really believe every Bitcoiner needs to learn about it. Like some of us think it's not that important. It is, it will be. Uh, and like, Feel free to ask me any questions in DMs. I will answer them. I don't need any payment for that. You can proceed with the with us with the process yourself. But like, I'm happy to share any information you need as much as I can. Awesome. And on Twitter, you're just at Katie Anna Nina, right? That's right. K a t k a t i e a n a n i n a, right? Beautiful. All right, Katie, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks for coming on and uh, be well. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye. See ya.